Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. So Luke chapter 19. Now, if you grew up in church at all, you've heard this story a hundred times. If you went to VBS, you've heard this story before. If you ever went to Sunday school, you've sung this, a song about this guy that we're going to uh, talk about this morning. His name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And uh, little man was he. He climbed up in a, for the Lord he wanted to. And as the Savior passed by, he said, Okay, some of you know the story, but not well. Zacchaeus, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. No, somebody said. He said, I'm going to be your house today. Now, the story that we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to ask you uh, not to just to think, oh, the story's not for me. I know the story already. There's nothing here for me this morning. But I believe God has a word for us, even from a very familiar story like this. See, Zacchaeus is not just a cute little story in the Bible. We're talking about a man who probably is the most notorious crook in all of Scripture. His reputation proceeds him wherever he goes. Uh, whenever he walks through the town, uh, people are, are avoiding him. They want nothing to do with this man. He would be considered the king of sinners, per se. The number one scoundrel in town. No one even came close to comparing being compared to this guy. And if there was ever a guy in the New Testament that had no hope, you would think, of receiving hope and grace and love from God, it's this guy. Like, this is the number one guy that you would just think, uh, God will have nothing to do with him. And then Jesus, in, in, in chapter 19, Jesus is about to enter. This is just before Jesus enters into his last week. His entire life has been pointing to this, to this uh, climax, this grand finale that's going to happen with his life. So just before the interest last week, he, he takes a stop at this little town called Jericho. And, and what's very interesting, as I said, everything is pointing to this one event. If you read through the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find that there's only four chapters, four chapters dedicated to to the early years of Jesus. You have the birth of Jesus, and then you have a couple things that happen, and that's it. That's it. 85 of those, uh, did I say verses, four verses? I meant four chapters. Then there's 85 chapters that deal with the last uh, three and a half years of his life. And out of those 85 chapters, the la- there's 29 of those 85 chapters deal with the last week of Christ. And then there's 13 chapters that, out of those 85 that deal with the last 24 hours. See, everything is pointing toward this one major event that's going to be coming. And so Jesus is getting ready to enter. He's on his way to Jerusalem for that final week. And he makes a stop in this little town. Now, if you remember last week, do you remember I, I gave you kind of a geography lesson? Did anybody remember that? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel like, you know, sometimes when a, a teacher in high school is like, hey, do you remember what I taught yesterday? And people go, mm. have no idea. Quick refresher. 
Sea of Galilee. Remember Sea of Galilee down here? Remember we talked about there was a Nazareth? And then there was this long Jordan River that came down here to the Dead Sea. And then Jerusalem. It's above sea level. And then there's Jericho right a little above the Dead Sea. Kind of below sea level. That's kind of the area that we're going to be looking at. So let, let's pick up the story. In Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So first of all, Jericho. What do we know about Jericho? Um, I've been there. Uh, to Jericho a, a couple times. You know, of course, we know uh, that's where the famous wall, you know, Joshua, remember? Joshua. What is it, Joshua? Fifth battle of Jericho, Jericho. Remember that one? Joshua, fifth battle. Okay. This is the same city. It is a very wealthy city. It's like the, it's like Palm Springs. It's like the Las Vegas of the area. Extremely wealthy, beautiful climate. Uh, Herod actually had a, a summer home there. I mean, uh, this is a great place for beggars to be outside the city. Just before this particular story, you know the story of Bartimaeus, the, the blind beggar Bartimaeus, you know, says Jesus is on his way to Jericho, and he's just, you know, alms for the poor. I mean, there's all kinds of beggars because there's so much wealth there for sh surely they, they would get something on their cup from those who were traveling in and, and, and out of Jericho. So let's continue reading. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. You know, the name Zacchaeus, it means innocent, pure one, righteous. This man does not live up to his name. And it says that he was wealthy. I find that very interesting because what we're going to find out, he has an encounter with Jesus and things change. Just in the previous chapter, you may remember the story where there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and wants to have eternal life and, and, and Jesus will go and sell your possessions and, and you know, follow me and trust me. And it says he goes away very sad. And then Jesus says, you know, it's actually um, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to trust me. And so we have one rich man who kind of walked away. Now we have a, a, a different rich man here. And it's going to be very different, actually, uh, what, what takes place. And so um, if this story had been read publicly in the Jewish setting, guaranteed when they came to the word Zacchaeus, he'd be like the villain. Everybody would go, boo, boo, Zacchaeus. Nobody likes this guy. Nobody in this town. He is despised. There's not an ounce of love directed toward this guy. I don't know if he was married or not, but if he was married, even his wife would have been treated the same way just for being married to him. He was hated. I don't know if I can even really explain it well enough. Like He, he would be like the, the, the head of the drug cartel. You know, that's kind of how much he would have been despised. Like being the mob boss. That's how um, he was despised. Because, first of all, he was hired by Rome. He's a Jew working for the Romans, which all of a sudden right there would make him a traitor. And, and he's, he's collecting taxes for the Romans. And then whatever extra he can get, he just pockets himself. And, and during this time period, there is all kinds of taxes being paid. I, I wrote some of them down here uh, this, this morning. There was the poll tax during this time. 
The poll tax was a tax for just breathing Roman air. If you're alive, you're going to be taxed, okay? There's the poll tax. Then there was the uh, income tax. Then there was the import tax. If you bring something into that area, you're going to be paying taxes for it. Oh, and then there was the road tax. Of course, you've got to pay road taxes. Then there was the harbor tax. Then there was the fish tax. Every time you had, depending on how many nets you had, you'd be taxed on the amount of uh, nets that you have. Um, then there was the, um, the ground tax. You know, how much you produce, we're going to take a little bit of that. Then there was the, the cart tax. Like You would get taxed per wheel that you had on your cart. That's why people start going to wheelbarrows, right? Just one, one, one wheel. It was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. Um, so every wheel was being taxed. And so how this whole system worked is Rome had, a, Rome had a certain amount of money you had to collect. And then the rest, you know, if take whatever you want, Zacchaeus, you can pocket the rest. We want this amount. And so it was legal, I guess, in a sense, to take more than, but not very ethical. And so here's Zacchaeus, who's the tax collector. And uh, he's just, he's living life large. He's a wealthy man. And Jesus is going to be coming to this town. And at this particular point of Jesus' ministry, he's like a rock star. Like everybody is following him. Everywhere you go, and there's paparazzi, snap, 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 taking pictures because just of the latest things that's happening with Jesus. And, and there's just like a parade of people. It's just so crowded as people are following Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World. You know, and the crowds are so tight that they kind of just push you along. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. The crowds are growing because they have been looking for a Messiah. They've been looking for the one person and it seems that this may be him. Now, I know they're looking for fireworks and they're looking at the fact that he'll take over Rome, conquer Rome, and then he'll sit on the throne. That's what they're looking for. And they're beginning to think, maybe this is the guy. And so people are, 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 are gathering around him because he's doing amazing, miraculous things. People who have been born blind are now being able to see. People who, who have been lame and because of accidents have been lying in bed for 20, 30 years, all of a sudden are walking again. And so it's amazing what, what's happening. And so uh, it's like these crowds are, are growing larger and larger. And there's like this a parade of people that are making their way to Jericho. And so, well, Zacchaeus, he has a problem. Let's just keep looking at it. He was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. And he wanted to see Jesus... He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. So he's, he's vertically challenged Zacchaeus. I don't mean he's small like, oh, Zacchaeus, let me put you on the shelf. Not that kind of stuff. He's just a short man. I don't know. He's probably under five feet maybe. Anybody here under five feet? 4.11? I picture maybe Zacchaeus, maybe your height. So you can understand when you're in a big crowd, right? You know, when you're praying, you're, you're doing this, you're trying to see above the crowd. Well, that's Zacchaeus. So, in fact, I think, first of all, the fact that he even went shows me he has a little bit of, uh, he's courageous. Because you know, you know people hate him. And he's going to work his way through the crowd, a crowd that hates him, a crowd that would have been very easily just giving him a, a punch on the side, as well, you know, putting the foot out and tripping him. He's going to work through that crowd that hates him. 
And then he's going to climb a tree. Almost like a childlike. He climbs a, a, a tree. And the fact that he, he, it says he ran. Like people in those days didn't run. Uh, he's an important official. Right? And he runs. Because he wants to see who this guy is that everybody's been talking about. It says when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I, I kind of picture that when Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus like, do you know who I am? You must be looking for the Zacchaeus that lives on the corner of Mitten and Telford. He's the good Zacchaeus. I'm the one that nobody likes. I'm sure he's shocked that Jesus actually knows his name. And, and sometimes we look at this and go, oh, I, I just love the way that Jesus, you know, is for the marginalized, the, the down and outer, like he hangs out with sinners and, and, and prostitutes. And, oh, this isn't just great that he hangs with this tax collector. But the thing that's so different is that Zacchaeus is not a victim. He's not, he's not a victim of the system. He's the guy running the system. Zacchaeus would be like the, the pimp who, who runs a sex trafficking ring. Zacchaeus is not feeling bad for himself. He's living life large. You can only imagine large home, large bank accounts, fancy cars, fancy clothes. So it's no wonder, in verse 7, when it says, And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. <laughs> is it no wonder? People began to ask, How can this guy really be from God? I mean, look who he's hanging out with. And look whose house is he going to. Bad enough that he was talking to him. Now he is going to his house. There is no way this guy's from God. This, is, this has been just fake news I've been listening to that this guy has been sent from God. I'm reminded of Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man will bring a snare. You know, here's Jesus he could have been very concerned about what people were going to be saying about him because he knew people would be talking. And sometimes, you know, I think it prevents us from stepping out in faith and doing what is right because of the fear of man. But I'm telling you, the fear of man is like a snare. Sometimes when you step out in faith, trusting, believing in God, the fact is you will be, yes, you'll be criticized. You might even be on Facebook being criticized. Someone may even write a blog about you. But remember, fear of man, it's like a snare. And so as, as I'm reading through this story, I can't help but walk away with this thought. There are no, ex, uh, there are no exceptions to God's acceptance. Like, there are no exceptions because there's God talking to the number one scoundrel in the town. In other words, there has never been any person who's been outside of God's boundaries for grace and hope. God has never said, your behavior has set you outside of my boundaries for hope. Um, that you're outside of my standards for me to associate with. Someone who... I would love someone who I would pursue. But notice that before Zacchaeus does anything right, 
Jesus, I'm coming to your house. Not because of what he, what he did or what he didn't do. See, there are no boundaries for God's acceptance. No one has ever run out of God's love. No one's ever gone beyond those borders. I mean, there may be people who don't accept God's love. I get that. And may, and may reject it. But it's not because God has said, oh, that's too much. And so here, when we read through the story, people are gasping like, <gasps> who's he talking to? And then they find it's going to go to hell. <gasps> people begin to be like, oh, I, I thought he was somebody, but he's not who I thought he was. And people begin to, to really start talking like, hey, this dude here in our town, he's a bad dude. Avoid all contact with this guy. And then they find out he's going to go to his house that day. And sometimes we are like the crowd too. Sometimes I'm like the crowd. You know, we base God's love on us for what we do and what we don't do. One of the greatest myths out there is that God loves us because of what we do. God's love for you has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what he's done. See, your life does not need to be in order for, for Christ to come to you. I mean, sometimes we think we've got to approach God. We need our whole life in order. And I've got to clean up things first in my life. Then I've got to try to tiptoe into his presence. But before God, but before God can love me, I've got to get my act together. That's not true. And some of you here this morning, and maybe even some people that are watching online, you would say, I've just, I've just done too many things that were not right. I've hurt, I've hurt too many people too many times. I, I've disappointed God. I have no hope that God would love me because of my past mistakes. The whole purpose of the story of Zacchaeus is there's no one beyond the gospel. There is no one beyond the love of God. There is no one beyond the love of Christ. But we, we convince ourselves we have to clean up first. It's sort of like, like Thursday nights, I, I have a small group that meets in my home. So we like to give the impression that our house is immaculate. So just before people come, we make sure those vacuum lines are nice and straight in the living room. We make sure there's no sock marks on the hardwood floor. We make sure there's nothing in the sink. Like, we live like this all the time. And sometimes that's what we think we have to do before we come to God. Clean it all up first. This is how we think. And I've got to start going to church regularly. I, I, I've, got to, I've got to start giving more to the church, and I've got to stop looking at things that are inappropriate, which I would say, yes, these things should be what you do but you don't have to do that first before you come to God when God begins to transform a life those things naturally flow out of you but everything changes between verse 7 and 8 it says and the people saw this and they began to mutter and he he has gone to be the guest of a sinner and this says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord look Lord here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything I will pay back four times the amount. Something has happened between verse 7 and verse 4. I mean, everything that we know about Zacchaeus has changed 
conviction and conversion has taken place. I mean, just imagine the people that bumped into Zacchaeus after what has taken place. And he says, I'll give, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. I mean, imagine a drug cartel coming to somebody and saying, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've stolen anything improperly, I'm going to give it back four times. Ever had anything stolen? I've had my house broken into twice. And uh, the, one of the things that I, I valued the most was uh, in our family we have this gold um, pocket watch and it um, has a little jade fob at the end and it was, it's five generations. It's been always been passed to the oldest son. And so I had it. I, I just loved it because Alexander Calder, which would be my great-great-great-grandfather, and it just meant a lot to me. And, and one night I came home and they had just gone through my whole bedroom. That was the one thing that they took. I was so disappointed. Can you just imagine now if that guy seven years later starts knocking on my door? You know, I, I've been feeling a little convicted about this gold watch. Here it is, and here's four more just like it. That's the kind of radical change that took place. And, and the thing is, it, the law, like if you stole something, like when people are living on the law, if you had stole something and you were over, you know, just felt overwhelmed by the guilt and you went back, the law says you repay plus one-fifth more. So 20%. What you stole, plus 20%. Zacchaeus gives back what he stole and then multiplies it by four times. Something has drastically changed. I mean, you can just imagine now Zacchaeus knocking on someone's door and, and the husband's like, honey, Zacchaeus at the door. Turn the lights off. Be quiet. Maybe we'll go away. No, I, I think he knows we're in here. And open the door. You imagine what it'd be like. And Zacchaeus says, you know, I did you wrong. I did you wrong. Here's the money that I stole from you. And here's four times the amount. I want to make it up for what I've taken from you. I met Jesus and everything changed. I think Zacchaeus would say, I am proof that God can change anybody. He can change anybody. See, there is no mess that God cannot use. There's no part of your story that God cannot use. The mess-ups, the past addictions, the past promiscuity. There's nothing in your story that God cannot use. That's why I can say there is hope for you this morning. I mean, God is now going to use the number one scoundrel, the, the number one crook in town God's going to begin to use in people's lives. And, and my observation has been that God will often use some of the messes that we've had in our life to reach others. I mean, some of you know what it's like um, to live a life where you have abused alcohol. And now you've had victory over it, and now you're helping other people because of you, what you've gone through. Uh, some of you know what it's like to have addictions. And now you're helping. Something from your past, you're able to help someone else. Some of you have gone through, you know, uh, maybe a really nasty divorce, and, and now you're able to take that, and you're able to help somebody. God's able to use that in someone else's life. You know, maybe you went through an abortion when you were young, and it's been a big secret all along, and, and now you find that you can actually help others because of what you've gone through who are dealing with the same thing. 
You know, maybe you struggle all your life with same-sex attraction, and, and God's given you some victory over that, and now you're able to help because of your message you're able to build into other people's lives. See, God uses our messes. Now look at verse 9. It says, Jesus said unto him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that was lost. That has got to be the grandest verse in all the Bible. I love that. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a good verse to underline right there. That's what the Son of Man came to do. See, Jesus didn't come and say, Jesus didn't say, today I'm going to stick around for the next three weeks to see if you get it right. <laughs> hey, I'm going to stick around for two weeks. I got a six-step program for you, and we'll see how that is working in your life. See if anything is sick. No, he says, salvation has come today to Zacchaeus' house. You see, God does give those second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and tenth chances. The thing is, though, we don't need a second chance. We just need a savior. Because you could have a second and a fifth and a tenth and still mess it up. So it's not a second chance we need. It's a savior. And salvation has a name. And his name is Jesus. And salvation does not come through a process. I mean, some of you maybe have, you've been brought up and maybe in your denomination. It's a process. You do this, you do this, you do this. And then salvation will come to your home. You know, if I do enough good things and I just tip the balance over 50%, huh, I'm okay. But salvation is not a process. It's a person. And the person is Jesus. He, he didn't come to give you a second chance so you could have a better life. He came to, to redeem you. Jesus came to offer you hope. Each one of you hope. And so salvation, not an encounter with new principle, is an encounter with a person. And the day you walk with him, the day you encounter him, everything changes. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no